Hey sis, it's a weekly shakedown of the binary walls around us. Breaking it out and building a bridge. Checking our biases with empathy and humility and questioning the status quo. So building allyship that is intentional and confident. In a recent mom-to-mom conversation, I was able to connect with Megan Kay. Her daughter started showing signs of being gender creative around the age of two, three years old, and uh, has since socially transitioned within the last year, so around the age of six, turning seven. She's now in grade two, and in this conversation, I had the opportunity to talk to Megan a little bit about their gender journey thus far and their experiences within the education system and the healthcare system here in Nova Scotia. She is a very loving, very um, bright child, and uh, she's very focused on humans and emotion and that side of thing, whereas my other guy is very logic and Spock-like, so <laughs> they're, they're opposites, but they work well together. Between the time that Brianna I started expressing her gender creativity around the age of three and then coming out to her parents, Megan noticed that Brianna was becoming a little bit quieter and more introverted. She was more um, like when you described how Dylan was when he was like, you know, hoodie up, don't want to be seen. She was like that uh, before she came out basically or affirmed her gender. She was very afraid, actually, what her peers thought of her it was really important to her. Um, How old so, been then, like when you felt like that light was kind of going out, you saw hoodies coming on. And yeah, that yeah, she um, was really kind of reserved and not as cheerful and very negative. And though I do think that she has some anxiety and it plays into that. Um, whether that comes from like not knowing how to express who she is yet or or where that came from she uh, she still has that um, but during that time I'd say it was most of grade uh, primary no grade one sometime around just a little after grade one so she was six and a bit her like her light had kind of gone out and I, I feel like a few people even noticed this and over time I mean she had told us when she was smaller like when she was probably three she started saying like saying that she felt like a girl inside and that she was a she maybe uh yeah felt like a girl inside but um had what she felt like were different body parts or something but we were just kind of you know, like she was also very feminine. We we weren't we're totally sure what that meant to her. So mm-hmm. we were kind of waiting and, you know, letting her guide herself, but also being very supportive. And then she always played with girls. And then eventually um, when we saw this change in her and she always tells me everything at bedtime, she doesn't want to go to sleep. So <laughs> I was laying down with her and we had a conversation and uh, she was, She was very afraid, actually, what her peers thought of her was really important to her. So let's talk about the importance of school and um, how they can support 
um, a child who is exploring their gender identity and how they can help combat the stigma around gender normativity and um, basically around the pressure to conform from primary onwards. So school is huge because that's where, you know, they really can tell what people want for their identity to be versus who they really feel like. And I feel like she was really noticing um, this difference. And so her, her, she had all girlfriends and she only ever wanted to play with girls. And she talked about that a lot. And uh, she kept saying that she felt like a girl inside. Um, and I was trying to get more out of her because I noticed that she was shut down more. And then she basically, we had a conversation and she was able to articulate that she, again, she felt like a girl inside, but a boy on the inside. But this time she took a step further and said, and my friends don't see that. So they don't see me for like who I am. And so, and kids on the, my, my friends don't always want to play with a boy. She knew, she knew very well that um, what, um, you know, your gender is about how you feel inside. It's not a, a physical thing. And so we taught that very young for lots of reasons, um, which I felt really good about after she came out because I realized like I had opened up a, a pathway for her really early to be herself. So that was um, I felt comforted that we'd done some good things early on and she was scared. She was really scared. So even though she was comfortable telling me something this profound, she hadn't said, uh, I am a girl yet. She was, you know, saying like, I feel like a girl inside and she wanted to, I said, well, would you want to wear girl clothes? And she did, but she did not want to be made fun of at school. And she was so afraid of that. And when I reached out to the teacher, and this is where the school really came in, she was so incredible. She, that day, sat down and had a circle talk, uh, led the kids through a talk about gender, but in a way that they really came up with it themselves, and I thought that was really important. But um, she really asked them a lot of questions and really made them think about what gender really was. And so in the end, they all were very oh, well, there are no boy things and there are no girl things and and you should be whoever you want to be. And Brie shared that she wanted to wear girl clothes with the whole class and was so excited to share this. And so that really helped her. And then she just was like so bright and so excited. I'd never seen her so excited when I took her shopping. It was unbelievable. So I don't think that without the school without that intervention, we would be in, a, we would have been in a really dark place in March. It would have been really, really hard for her. And it would still be really hard for her because she wouldn't know that her friends would be accepting like they were. It was really such perfect synergy, wasn't it, that uh, Brianna's teacher had reached out to us and her classroom was one of the very few uh, classes within HRM that participated in our inclusive 
reading event that happened on February 28th with the books, It Feels Good to Be Yourself, I Am Jazz, Not Quite Narwhal. And so her taking that time to create that safe space as well, um, not just for Brianna to feel more comfortable about coming forward, but also to help prepare her peers to be able to support her in a really positive way. So Megan explained to me how Brianna's transition at school initially went really well with a supportive teacher. And then COVID hit, which took all children out of the classroom last winter for the remainder of the year. Brianna's now started into a new school and things aren't going so well this year. She hasn't regressed at all about who she is. She's just dealing with a lot more comments it's almost a daily problem now that she comes home or every other day so i think grade one is a very big identity year yeah. and i would say that um you know kids teased her yeah the primary kids teased her the most and honestly if people if teachers could start integrating this kind of sense of what gender is and what gender isn't in pre-primary she wouldn't have to deal with as much of that and she might not have been as scared so scared to to be herself at school we really need a holistic approach. Um, you can't just say, okay, well, we've got the wait list cut and we've got all this access accessibility to trans-affirming healthcare and then send our kids off to school every day that is not inclusive, where they're feeling like it's such a heteronormative, cisgender, cisnormative mm -hmm. um, setting um, because they're not going to come out healthy, like with good mental health outcomes. Um, that way they're still going to feel like they're on the fringe. Like studies show transgender kids are just as emotionally and mentally healthy as their peers with the right supportive environment. And yeah. we are only with them on the weekends and nights, the rest of the time they're at school. So yeah. that's really big. All their time with their peers, that really tells them whether they're accepted or not in society. And that is such a good point. And I would just like to take a really quick minute and pull in some statistics. So for those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, I'm going to post these four slides, which have some very current stats gathered in 2019 on them. And that'll be um, linked from the webpage of our HACIS podcast. And then for those who are watching, I'm going to really quickly just take you through these quick slides just to help tie in what Megan is talking about and how inclusion in the schools is so critically important. So if we look first at bullying in schools and we look at trans youth, what the 2019 Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance, so the YRBS data uh, for 2019 found that 43% of trans youth have been bullied in school. Um, and that's compared to 16% of non-LGBTQ two plus peers. So 43% trans youth compared to 16% have been bullied. Now for kids who are even just gender questioning, um, so they're questioning their gender identity, they have not transitioned, they have not come out as trans or non-binary or gender fluid, 40% have been, so almost half have been bullied as well compared as 16% of 
the non-LGBTQ2 plus community. And when we look at um, numbers of children, of youth who have skipped school because they felt unsafe at school or on their way to school. They have skived off because they're not going there. They're not feeling it safe. 35% of trans youth and 41% of questioning youth. So um, this is actually higher than the trans youth. So kids who are questioning um, their gender identity are more inclined to skip school compared to 8% of non-LGBTQ2 plus peers. When we look at statistics looking around depression and anxiety, um, the numbers are quite high, as we know, because isolation, if anybody has, has, ex has experienced the isolation in this last year with COVID-19, I think we can all relate to the effects and the impacts, the profound impacts that um, isolation can have on our mental health. So what this study found was 61% of trans youth are battling symptoms of depression and 61% of questioning youth are also battling symptoms of depression compared to only 29% of non-LGBTQ2 plus peers. So that's more than two times um, the numbers. When we look at those who are seriously considering attempting suicide, 45% of trans youth have seriously considered suicide. 40% of questioning youth have seriously considered attempting suicide. 35% of LGBTQ youth have seriously considered, compared to only 13% of the non-LGBTQ2 plus peers. So when you look at 13% of peers compared to 45% of trans youth, that's more than three times uh, the population. What it shows is that there is systemic transphobia thriving in our school system. And in order to break this down, we really need to take a holistic approach and tie it right back into our human rights code under Bill C-16, right into our health care system, which shows and illustrates how when trans youth are supported in the home, um, they have perfectly healthy outcomes, very in line with their non-trans uh, uh, or non-questioning peers. And so this is really important to tie that into our healthcare system, our human rights code, and within the schools, um, if we are to create a village that is going to ever include trans youth. Like you have to think every book they read for the most part of school is hetero and gender normative. It's all that way. So, and the only books that she's really gotten to read that weren't are specifically about being transgender and I think that's very I think another thing that teachers really could do to help is to try to find some books with some um gen transgender people in them that are you know transgender like superheroes or something it's not just about being yeah. a certain way because it really does give the sense of other and different versus just like you know we're all just like you and we we all have aspirations and wants and you know my whole life isn't about being transgender I just am transgender it's part of me yeah so the school played a major role and she was so excited the, the first day to wear her girl clothes um and then 
over time, she came on her own to this realization that she's transgender. She read the books and she kept saying, oh my gosh, she talked about jazz all week because she was like, just like me, just like me, just like, you know, um, she was shocked. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. When we read the books, that really helped her kind of think about her identity, I guess, even further. Because she knew how she felt inside, but I don't know if she knew how she could express that. But a week after that, after reading the books, she was like, we were driving home from school and she was like, I want to use the girls' bathroom at school. I want a girl's name, like, now. And I have, she said, I have the transgender, <laughs> which is really cute, really cute. So her, her understanding of transgender evolved over time because now she's a little critical of I am jazz. She's like, jazz said that she used to be a boy, but jazz was always a girl if she feels like a girl. I used to think too that I was a boy before Annette, and then I became a girl, but I was always a girl. She's, she'll correct you in a lot of things. Wow, she is so wise. Huh? So what, what was really great about our school was it was very small. It was not bureaucratic. And um, they knew all the kids really well. It was, uh, there were like five, four or five teachers in the whole building and no office. So when a decision was made, it was fast. There was no debating it. The teacher was like, Bree's a girl, she should use the, the girl's bathroom. So she talked to the teachers about it. They were like, yeah, of course. It wasn't even a thing. Don't assume that all the teachers in the next grade are, you know, great allies. To be a great ally, you have to make a conscious effort. You can't just be not transphobic, right? Right. So, <laughs> Yeah, so Bree uh, was in a smaller school last year, transitioned to a larger elementary school, and the teacher that she had last year gave a really good handover report to the teacher that she's having this year and ensured that she was going to have a teacher um, that would be very supportive of her needs as a transgender uh, girl in a new school. So that was really helpful. And then the teacher this year reached out to us in an email a couple of weeks before school started. And that made me feel a lot more comfortable, especially because a big barrier this year is that we can't go into the school and meet anyone face-to-face -face due to COVID. So I really appreciated her reaching out and it gave me an opportunity to uh, provide some more information uh, and uh, make sure that Bree was going to um, have a teacher that understood uh, her experience as a transgender girl. She's quite proud to be transgender. So, uh, yeah, she's been lovely. And she's let Bree share what she wants to share um, when, when she's ready. So it's good. Fast decision-making, um, talking, like really thinking about the next school year ahead of time and having a conversation with yeah. a teacher, um, maybe thinking even about peers and peer relationships and maybe who's who's having a hard time and giving Bria a hard time and mm -hmm. working through that, maybe giving them a break or just doing some extra yeah. education around that. But I, I think if they're educating all yeah. the time, um, like we said, instead of making it a big yes. deal, one particular component of healthy living, um, yeah. it would make it um, 
less, like you said, it would, the divide. Yeah. Talking early with the kids about, well, what are boy things? What are girl things? You don't have to teach them all about transgender. You can just teach them about what, gen- like what gender isn't. Mm-hmm. And how it's about how you feel inside. And if they just know that core principle, I think they'll be more accepting. Don't be afraid to, don't be uncomfortable. We're just, everybody's just like, we're all just trying to, you know, we're all doing the daily grind here. We're all just trying to get through and, you know, be happy individuals. We, you don't have to be afraid of people. You know, don't be afraid to say the wrong thing and don't let that stop you from, uh, figuring it out and integrating things into your care. And just think about if, if you have kids in your life, think about those kids and if they were transgender, what you'd want for them. And if that's what you need to get your head in the right space, because once you're a parent of a transgender child, let me tell you, you get it. Like you, you're like immediately realizing like the types of things you need in place to really help your kid be safe, just to be safe. Mm-hmm. So, like, most of us don't have to think about our safety every day, but when you have a kid that's transgender, you have to think about that every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every day when she comes home, I have to wonder. I, I don't ask her, but, you know, um, she'll come home and say, today was okay, but this person said that I wasn't a real girl, and it, that happens all the time. She did have one kid apologize to her after the I Am Jazz book, my guess is that the kid went home and was like, mommy, like this kid's lying at school. And the mom was like, oh God, <laughs> like, no, 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 you have to apologize to that kid. But um, again, they mm-hmm. wouldn't be thinking that penis makes your gender mm-hmm. and vaginas make your gender. I mean, your privates are who your gender is if we were teaching them properly. Exactly. It's so true. So it is, it is about their safety. And I would say, yeah, okay, we're lucky that maybe Brie came out when she did, but whenever people come out, that's the right time for them. And so they have to be safe at every age to come out. And if even at this age, she's getting these types of like very phobic questions. I can't imagine at age 14 because kids are (laughs) so sneaky then, right? It's not as blatant in your face. Because what Bree's getting at school now is, like, the minute that she has some sort of conflict with a kid, they're like, well, you're not a girl. You have a penis. Somebody said that to her the other day. So, like, do you think then the teacher that that you have this year, that Bree has this year, do you think that they're going to do some work around helping to combat the teasing that Bree's experiencing and... Yeah, so I reached out. So having very tight communication with the teacher is really important, but it's so hard to know <clears throat> what's, what, you know, what the boundaries are. But um, I think I would say as far as teasing goes, it should be zero tolerance policy anyway, but especially when it can be harmful to a child. And it's, you know, um, like Ben's just straight up, he's angry about it. He's like, transphobia like he's like this is transphobia and cannot stand and I'm like well you know in a way it isn't and when a kid's being transphobic when kids are being transphobic it's a failure on the part of the adults around them all you have to do with kids and I've worked with kids for years is Mm -hmm. give them what they can handle and understand so it's like small gender what makes you a boy I used to say what makes you a girl and they would say that like something you know 
um, very gender normative. So of course they already understood gender from the role modeling around them and from the world and from the cartoons they watch. Boy. So I would say, no, it's about how you feel inside actually. Some girls have penises and some boys have vaginas. Why people are afraid to talk. I think people are like, I'm gonna turn my kid transgender. When I think about nursing, I would have to guess that teachers are taught to do the same thing and that's to be reflexive in your everyday practice. So you have to constantly reflect on things. And what I would challenge people to start thinking about is how is the how are the processes and in your organization and the structure of your organization contributing to gender normativity uh, because if you're part of that system and you're not trying to kind of improve it then you are perpetuating gender norms and so you just have to start thinking about what can i do a little bit differently, right? That's really, really important, yeah. It takes reflection and insight. Like you said, not just about being trans, but just about yeah. the integration of that. We're all very unique individuals. Yeah. And how we define ourselves is, you know, is very personal and worthy of respect. Like when we figured out Brie was transgender, all I did was celebrate her. I was very happy for her. And I tell that to parents all the time when they're looking for advice and they like, don't forget to celebrate your kid. You know, your, your kid doesn't have, um, your kid hasn't been in an accident or been hurt or have, you know, a debilitating disease. They're, um, they're still the same person they always were. They're just being more themselves and they're unique. So it's like, you know, exciting, not sad. Don't think of it just as sad. Right. And it deserves to be a forefront, I think, in the discussion of policymaking. So Megan, with your journey so far as a parent supporting a very young uh, trans daughter who has socially transitioned, what would be some of your advice from a healthcare perspective to parents of trans and gender diverse youth? I am a healthcare professional with a transgender child, so I bridge the parent healthcare professional gap. And I think it's really interesting how I become uh, visible um, as a parent with a transgender child, because I, I feel like it's really given context to a lot of my coworkers as well. And everybody's been very supportive and excited for her. And I think I've found their, her, that her journey has been very beautiful to see. So I think that's been really uh, interesting. I think healthcare professionals and teachers really get into this profession to help people, and I know that. And so it just takes a little bit of extra reflection about their practice. Megan, thank you so much. This is no great. problem. I always love connecting with other parents of trans and gender diverse kids. I just think our village is so important and so healthy and nothing but great vibes and information comes out of it. So uh, that was talking in conversation with Megan Kay about her daughter and their gender journey. If you have a story you want to share with us or connect with us for a conversation that will help break down the binary around us here in Nova Scotia or beyond, please connect with us 
at connect at simplygoodform.com. Have a great day, and remember, inclusion matters.